0: Welcome back to The Digital Dive, a conversation about tech. My name is Jacqueline, and I'm one of your hosts.
1: And my name is Darsh. I am your other host. This week, we have a very, very special episode. We are featuring Renee Ritchie, an amazing content creator who has officially hit now two years of being an independent content creator and has been one of probably the best and foremost Apple experts that we can talk to. So we're gonna have a really, really amazing episode, guys, today all about, uh, I guess, focus around Apple. Uh, Renee, if you want to introduce yourself, give yourself a hello to the crowd. Oh, awesome. Uh, great
2: thrill to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Two years. Oh, no, thank you. I mean, uh, Jacqueline, you know, you're a huge inspiration to me. And I love the way that you think about YouTube and the way that you think about technology and the way that you're always trying new and cool and interesting things and presentations and video formats and styles. So it's just...
0: Feeling is very mutual, Renee. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. So you just hit two years, though, which like huge congrats for that. So Renee, for anyone that doesn't know, has been like in tech world for many, many years, but he just went independent two years ago. So right before COVID has been absolutely killing it. I have never met anyone with the level of consistency that you have on YouTube and the level of quality. It's pretty unreal. So I thought before we hopped into talking about bunch of different Apple stuff because you're kind of the go-to Apple guy. I thought it'd be interesting just to talk about maybe your experience of being indie and kind of the differences between that and traditional media.
2: Yeah, so I was working, before this, I worked for 12 years for a company called Mobile Nations. They do Android Central, Windows Central, iMore, Crackberry back in the day, Nokia Central, Backer in the day, Trio Central. (laughs) Uh, I think they started this Visor Central to give you an idea about how long (laughs) that whole thing's been going on. Um, And they sold to Future LLC, which is a huge media company that owns like a Nantech and Tom's Guide, Tom's Hardware. Uh, just so many publications and they keep buying more and more of them. And it just, it became clear that I just, I wanted to create again. I got pushed into management roles and not unwillingly, like I was happy to help out, but after a while, like I just didn't have time. I was in so many meetings and, and doing so many other things. I didn't have time to 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 write or to, to do anything anymore. And it, it was a nice time because I don't, I didn't want to do that whole sort of, big media culture is really weird sometimes. like. The CEO for Future is amazing. She's a Scottish woman. Uh, she's a she's a finance person, which isn't my favorite because I usually think CEOs should be fighting with CFOs. And if CFOs <laughs> become CEOs, then the deck yeah. is stacked. <laughs> um, Very true. But she Very was fair. like, I don't want to be number one in Google. I want to be number one, two, three, four, and five in Google. So I'm going to keep buying publications and just own all of them. And then I'll be competing yeah. against myself and I'll win no matter what. Brilliant, brilliant. But it was just like it became sort of like a machine. And... I got to a point where pay paid down all my debt. You know, I managed to save a little bit of money. I had like two years of runway ahead of me. Like if everything went totally wrong. Uh, so I gave my notice in, in March of 2020. I gave them a month notice because I thought there'd be an Apple event. I didn't want to leave them empty-handed. Uh, and then my last day of work, the world closed. So you know, I, I have really good timing.
0: Wow, That's wild, actually. Yeah, because... In some ways, that was good timing because a lot more people were consuming YouTube. Like 2020 was a crazy year. But I think in other ways, and tell me if I'm wrong here, it almost sets up like bad expectations for yourself of like what you thought the channel would do. And then what it actually is doing now, since we're in a little bit of a better spot with COVID, right? It almost like you probably got used to just a very high level of views early on.
2: Well, it was a strange mix because like mutual friend Dave Whiskus and I've been friends for a very long time. And we used to podcast together back in the day and he built like a whole sponsorship network. So that that part was like a, a cheat code for me. I didn't have to find that. Like that was already present for me. But nobody knew what was going to happen to sponsor rates or ad rates or marketing dollars. Like people thought maybe no one would spend any money because it's a it, you know it's a pandemic. Turned out people spent a lot of money. You know they, like, they took the opportunity to buy everything. Uh, but that wasn't clear at first. And the other part is because all my travel and everything had been paid for by a company. I didn't even know how to do that. Like it's an, it's an ongoing joke that when you leave a big company, you can't even buy your own phone anymore. You just have no idea how, yeah. <laughs> how the world works. But that ended up saving me a ton of, probably saving me a ton of money because I didn't have to, I used to travel like once every two weeks and that, those, that adds up and I didn't have to spend anything and I didn't miss anything because nobody was doing anything.
0: Yeah, you, mm-hmm. that's, I hope though that, I guess you got to experience like a traditional tech event like with big yeah. media, but it would be really cool to go independent too. Um, But what Renee is talking about right now is our mutual friend named Dave runs Standard, which is like this creative agency, but then also Nebula, which is like this independent streaming platform. Can you talk a little bit about, before we hop into WWDC rumors, just briefly, like what your experience has been working with an agency like Standard? Because I think for most YouTubers, they kind of run their own deals for a while and the channel grows and they're like, this is unsustainable. Like, how am I going to negotiate all this and make content? But from very early on, you were already working with an agency that was kind of placing ads in.
2: Yeah, and like we'd done that with Mobile Nations. Like we'd already always outsourced our ad and we'd worked with Standard before and we'd worked with other agencies. So like I was just familiar with that, but it's sort of like that Marques had this analogy that every creator is an octopus and you have different arms. Like you have your, your filmmaker arm and your editor arm and your business developer arm and your marketing arm and all these different things. And you have to decide which ones you can cut off, you know, cause you can't maintain all of them and which ones might be even better if you hand them off. And I was okay at editing. I've been editing for a long time. So that like, that was something I could do. But I am just terrible at business and I didn't have to do it either because traditional media is siloed, like editorial and and advertising. There's a firewall between them. You're not supposed to know what who's spending money on advertising and they're not supposed to know what your editorial opinion is. So you didn't have to worry about it. And I was like, so so like Dave will chide me and like another mutual friend, Luria. A lot of people will yell at me and say, get an editor already. Get an editor. <laughs> yes, but I feel Oh, feel like God. -hmm. Yeah, I feel like I I handed off the business. Like they just run all the business for me, so I don't have to worry about that, and that gives me the time to like right now spend on editing and on other things that I want to learn.
0: Yeah, this is like a constant conversation I have too, because I still edit all my own videos, and it definitely is like the number one thing that's preventing more frequent uploads. But it is the most creatively fulfilling part for me out of everything I do. Like it's one that like I most easily able to get into flow state with. Of like, yes, I forget what's going on. I forget to eat. Like I'm. I can yes. do it for 10 hours in a row. Um, and I was talking to someone recently and I was like, it's almost like what I'm, it's not best for the business that I'm doing this, but it's yeah. like best for me as a person. And they were like, you shouldn't just like do something just best for the business if it's going to make you like the job less because like long-term, that's not going to be as fulfilling. So I honestly like, I could see it going both ways. Maybe one day you'll hire an editor, but if it provides you like a lot of fulfillment, I also think that there's like an intangible value to that.
2: Yeah. And I also tell the story, like I don't know about you, but like I'm not good enough to capture the story in the camera. So I end up. Telling yes, the story in the edit like star wars it was it's always being saved in the edit but then <laughs> yeah. like i feel like we have too many mutual friends because like mutual friend hayden will like say like yes but a good editor could do that and even better for you it's not like yeah. george lucas edited star wars idiot
0: you know? yeah <laughs> uh, it's so true i mean also yeah then it comes back to like maybe i should get better at writing and then maybe yeah. i won't have to like cut entire scenes when i'm editing mm-hmm. but yeah right now it's a fun process but i think like especially for events where it's like a very big turnaround time there is this element of like if you're the one editing it, like you're on for like 10 hours. And I think that we used to really experience this a lot when we'd go yeah. to Apple events. Now it's a little bit different. So in this not so subtle transition, WWDC is coming up.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well also like what, w- before you move on, like just one of the things yeah. that, that makes it complicated is that there are a lot of different categories are, are really different. Like The Verge will come in or c will come in with a team of like six people at an event and they'll like, yeah. they'll film their A-roll and they're done. Like it gets handed off to like three or four brilliant editors who do everything. And like, we're there like alone with a camera. You know, so like, like maybe you can upload stuff, maybe the internet works, maybe it doesn't, maybe like you can generate proxy. So it's complicated. But also, like, TierZoo will make a video a month, Mark Rober will make a video a month, you know, like some of those channels do a video a month. But if news hits like WWDC, maybe we need to get that video up in three hours. And then like just the sheer logistics of getting it to an editor and getting it back makes it more complicated.
0: And can you mm-hmm. like reasonably ask someone to do that? Like I wouldn't feel good asking someone to stay up all night. Whereas I've, like, I'll ask myself to do that. Yeah. So I think that there's an element of that too. But yeah, I don't know. The, I mean, the events have like this energy around them too, where it's like everyone is working on the videos and editing them. So I also feel like there's like a camaraderie that comes with that. Yes. But Darsh, I'm going to throw it to you just to talk about WWDC, some rumors. And then Renee, we want like all your thoughts on WWDC predictions. You're kind of the guy.
1: No, absolutely. Well, so here's the thing. WWDC is Apple's yearly developer conference, meaning that we're gonna be looking at a lot of new things. And it's mostly gonna be software-based. But from the last event that we had, which was on March 8th, called Peak Performance, uh, we're kind of expecting something more because Apple did room or did kind of tease a little bit towards the end that there is more coming in the next leg of the year. So I wouldn't be surprised to see some hardware there, but I know what for sure we'll be seeing the introduction of iOS 16, iPad OS 16, Watch OS 9, TV OS 16 and mac os 13 which i am very excited for regardless now we'll talk a little bit about the software because i do want to talk with renee a little bit about some ios 16 i guess like dream features that we could see coming up but we'll talk about that a little bit after the rumors in terms of hardware though renee like what kind of things are you expecting slash would you want to see i guess at i guess at this next wwdc
2: yeah well i think you said it really well like, wwdc is mostly a software event but only mostly like Last year it was pure software. Year before that, mm-hmm. they teased Apple Silicon Max. Year before that, they showed off the you know the Mac Pro. It didn't ship, and the Pro Spy XDR didn't ship a WWDC, but they showed it off. Yeah. In 2017, there was no Spring event, so there was literally like eight or nine products announced at that <laughs> WWDC. Yeah, it was exactly. it was like a nightmare to cover in the in the best and worst possible ways. So it can really vary in terms of what they decide to show off, but the software is always a, a super safe bet because they've got themselves on this this yearly update cycle. Mm-hmm. So I know like everyone wants to see the VR headset. I'm going to expect that when I see it just because the the lead times on that are so long. If they're going to mm-hmm. release it in September, maybe they'll preview Reality OS and the headset at WWDC. Mm-hmm. If they're going to like release it next year, I think we'll be waiting till September or next March before we see any of that.
0: What do you think that would look like? If they end up coming out with a VR headset.
2: I think it'll look like the um, do I have to call it the MetaQuest? Is there a style guide on this podcast? Can I call it the Oculus Quest?
0: <laughs> yeah, call it, it the Oculus. Like, I feel I like <laughs> no one's gonna know. That, that meta- program was a terrible move. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. So like the I feel it'll be like the Quest, but with Apple level, you know, industrial design. And mm-hmm. maybe somewhere between that and one of the bigger original Rift or HTC Vive sort of headsets with you know two Apple silicon chips, one main processor, one reality sort of engine inside it, and it'll be untethered uh, and really expensive because the first one is gonna be the one that they pay down all these new technologies with. So like mm-hmm. dual 4K displays and all, basically if you're like, what's the best way to describe it? Sort of like an iPhone, an, I, an iPhone 13 Pro Max compared to like the $200 Motorola that you would get like the shelf over in Verizon.
0: Yeah, that, that's a good parallel. I mean, I think that people are excited about that, but I think that the thing that most people really want are glasses like yeah, yeah. the AR glasses. And I think the, the thing with that is like, it feels that like we're still kind of far away from there, but do you have like a vision for what that could be, Renee? Do you think like, if we're talking about timetables, five years, 10 years, yeah, yeah. longer, what do you think?
2: Yeah, so like the, if you look at it, like the VR headset is basically a next generation personal Apple TV. It's gonna be like a platform you put on and it'll give you all your entertainment and games and educational content, but it'll be a very content focused experience. So really like an Apple TV that you wear on your head. The, mm. the, the glasses are gonna be like Apple Watches, but instead of being on your wrist, they're gonna be on your face. And they're gonna be mostly about convenience, like notifications. Because the whole sales pitch is, you know, you, we made a phone, so we made, a, we made like a desktop so you wouldn't have to go downtown to a mainframe. We made a phone so you wouldn't have to go back to your desktop. We made a watch so you wouldn't have to reach for your phone. And now this is gonna be like, on your, like in front of your eyes, so you don't even have to turn your wrist anymore. But it'll be very limited in what it can do, and even then, just getting all of that screen technology and all that radio technology to work, I think we're looking at still four or five years on that. So, like one to two years for the VR, and then four to five years for the AR. That makes yeah, sense. I agree with you. Yeah,
0: I would love to see it sooner, but I think yeah, I don't know. If, did you test out the um, Ray Ban like Facebook glasses? Have you seen those?
2: I, I've seen I've seen videos on them, but I haven't uh, okay. I haven't tried them.
0: Okay, so those were pretty cool because they look like normal glasses, and they have this tech in them but they were nothing like what we, I think, <laughs> want, like with displays, because all they yeah. really have is a camera and microphones. And so I am um, i wouldn't want Apple to like rush out a product just to like get a pair of glasses that doesn't have an actual improvement. And I think that Apple, and I, we've talked about this before, but they're often not first, but when they do come out with something, it's like so refined. And kind of on that note, I think that, iOS is like one of those things where a lot of the times the features are not new, but then they like, maybe they steal something from Android and Android does the same, right? But what do you think we can expect with iOS 16? Like, are there any like headlining features that like you think we can expect? And then on that uh, like converse point, um, are there any like dream features that you really want, but you don't think we're going to get?
2: Yeah. So I think like lately it's been really hard. Like in a normal year, what will happen is right after the current version of iOS ships, they all get together and marketing pushes down the features that they think they need to be competitive. But also any, any uh, individual contributor at Apple can propose a feature. And some of the biggest features we have now are the idea of like one engineer. That's one of the reasons people stay at Apple because they're like, you know, I could go and get a ton more money from Facebook or Google or somewhere, but I have an idea to help kids learn. And I could get that in front of, you know, a billion students if I just yeah. get this project. And they do, like that keeps happening. So people keep mm-hmm. staying. So that's sort of like a wild card element. But because they've all been working from home for the last two years, you know, like one, the leaks have been, like it seems like there's a lot of leaks, but actual software leaks where things don't have to go outside of those teams have been very, very minimal um, over the last mm. couple of years. So that's hard to tell. And also usually they run up against deadlines and they push things out. So features that are planned for one year, they don't get ready in time and they get pushed to the next version, but they sort of altered all their plans like with like, by focusing more on stay-at-home friendly technology. So I don't know where any of that stuff sits now in their agenda. There's stuff that I'd love to see finally come out, like uh theme kit. Everyone now is still using shortcuts to yeah. theme and sort of hack around that. But a theme kit where you don't, it's not just like light mode or dark mode, but you have a bunch of different moods that any developer can pull through UI kit right into yeah. any app. And like, yeah. you can set it like, I want like sunrise is my mood. And it does all that. And then it just handles your icons for you. And you can go in and say, use this pack, like downloadable icon packs. I think that sort of customization would be like a really good starting place to to get us past the current generation of of, of user experience on iPhones. I think like that even one step
1: further, like having a theme kit for your phone, but it translates to like iPadOS, MacOS. And then on top of that also sits with HomeKit. So you come, like yeah. if, you're, if your phone is in like a, a vibey mood, like you're just trying to hang out, just chill, do whatever do whatever you're trying to do. And you walk in your apartment and your apartment just has all these vibey nice. lights set up and it's just this nice environment, kind of everything plays together. Yeah. I think that could actually be really, really cool. That has me really excited now, right? Use now. that ecosystem, oh, Apple. Wait. Yeah. <laughs> at this point, the ecosystem is so so well thought out. Like my brother and I will fight about this all the time because I'll go I go Google when it comes to building out like a home smart home automation system. My brother goes very much towards Apple and HomeKit. And so we'll always have this back and forth about which one's better, which one we prefer, which one has the better voice recognition. Like my brother will have one of his friends come in and be like, yo, just try talking to my HomePod. It's not going to work. Like it's only only trained in my voice. And then immediately it'll work. And then I'll (laughs) come to my room at Google and it won't work. And so there's like stuff like that where we'll just have these little back and forths. But HomeKit, in terms of its integration with iOS and all the other Apple devices, because of that ecosystem, it's become so much better for consumers and so much easier too. Because... Like Google Home is kind of hard to navigate sometimes. It gets really annoying.
0: Yeah. Especially if you use an iPhone, like Darsh is like cross platform. So he uses an iPhone, but then his entire like home automation is Google.
1: <laughs> yeah. I
0: use HomePods, but you know, recently I've been having this issue and this is, I've been having with the HomePod. It's been having like a lot of, so I have two of them set up. So like yeah. one in each room, my bedroom and then the kitchen and only one of them picks up my voice. Wow. And so I constantly have to like go to the bedroom to like ask like what the weather is or something. I'm like, what's happening here? But also, and Renee, I don't know if you've like seen any articles about this. I know it's kind of been an issue. AirPods yeah. have been having like a lot of issues with connectivity issues. I recently just was affected on both of my pairs, the AirPods 3 and the Pros. Only one of them is pairing to my phone now. I didn't realize how annoying this glitch was until it happened, and I could only hear out of one ear. Do you have any thoughts on like this and this widespread issue?
2: Yeah, I, like, I have so many thoughts on like. Well, first, like, just like high level, I wish they would rename it from HomeKit to Apple Home because HomeKit sounds like a yeah. model you have to build. Like no mainstream person mm-hmm. has time yeah. for that. Like <laughs> no, nothing and nothing else is called kit. Like they, they don't surface any of the other kits. Like just rebrand mm-hmm. it with a nice Apple logo and the, and the word home next to it. That's it, a good idea. In.
1: That is a really good idea.
2: And then like for me, it's just like this, the this stuff is nice because like you set it up once and it's supposed to propagate but especially AirPods are so overly promiscuous. Like anytime anything else beeps, I, like it goes to like right now we could be having yeah. this conversation. My phone will beep but suddenly my AirPods will be on my phone. Like I didn't consent to time. any of this. Like, <laughs> yeah. please just stay where you left me. Don't be overly helpful. And then so you end up turning it off and you, you it's so inconsistent that you just don't trust it anymore. And then like, what's the point in making the feature?
0: We talk about that all the time. <laughs> like Darsh and I actually had to switch to wired headphones for the podcast. I was about to say. <laughs>
1: I was about to say, we had to switch to wired headphones at this point, because literally every single time Jacqueline would have her AirPods in, like she'd be like, oh, sorry, uh, audio cut out. Um, I'm on my phone right now. Give me two seconds. I gotta switch back to my uh, laptop. And every it's time. like constantly back and forth, back and forth. And even just with me, like i will be doing schoolwork on campus, and uh, I'll be listening to music off my laptop, and I'll get a notification my ringer's on. And I'll switch right to my phone. My music starts blaring out, out loud yeah. like in the middle oh, of a God. study hall. And it's just, it's so That's inconvenient.
2: Or your Apple TV will go AirPods detected, AirPods detected, AirPods yes, detected. Yes, over and AirPods over. It's like, yeah.
1: dude. I <laughs> like, know, chill. I was just thinking about it. <laughs> they, got, they have no chill. And I, see, I think that features like that are useful when they actually bring you some convenience. And there are times where I actually really do appreciate it. But I actually think the way that Sony did it was better. So like I have a pair of XM4s and they have uh, dual, like, like the Bluetooth can connect to two different devices. I and mean, I'll have one on my, I'll have it connect to my laptop and my phone at the same time but if i'm trying to take a call on my laptop and i'm listening to music on my phone it'll detect that that's the most recent thing and switch over but for notifications it doesn't even bother it doesn't even try and so it's i feel like apple has the capacity to to reach that expectation to make it less finicky but i feel like they haven't fully acknowledged it enough to try to actually fix it they
2: sometimes over engineer things like whether it's a studio display stand (laughs) <laughs> or it's like, a, or it's like the way this because like Siri works on a voting system. Whenever you, if you have multiple Siri devices around and you say something, they all vote on which device was the last one you really? used, is the closest physically to you, and also has the best capabilities to answer whatever kind of question you're asking.
0: Wow, I didn't know
2: that. And, and it goes back and forth, but there's so much latency that sometimes like the voting is like all out of order, and then it just it defaults to whatever one picked it up first because it doesn't want to make you <laughs> wait too long, and that's like often not the right answer because it'll just say, oh, can't answer this on HomePod, sending it to your iPhone. Like, I know I'm actually holding my iPhone (laughs) right now when I was talking to you.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's like almost a feature issue, but like the other, and it drives me nuts, honestly. But then the other thing is like this widespread issue just with the AirPods not working.
2: Yeah. And like, Mm -hmm. uh, so
0: I had it now, my friends have it. Like they're people constantly ask me like, did I break my AirPods? Like what happened here? Why do you think Apple hasn't like acknowledged this in like a big way? Because I think that it is affecting a lot of users.
2: Yeah, I think there's two things. And like, it's it's really frustrating. Like often with a company, the best part of their culture is also the worst part of their culture. Like their biggest strength is, okay. I know it's a total cliche, but the biggest strength is the biggest weakness. And just yeah. Apple's culture lets them do all these things. And they get a lot of surprise and delight, which gives them a lot of marketing out of it. And a lot of like mind space, mind share out of it. But then it's like super frustrating because they don't say anything. And for them, it's like, a small percentage of you, like they'll look, like they have automated systems like any big company and it'll look at the number of, like the the butterfly keyboard is a perfect example of this. Mathematically, it never reached the level of an escalated response, even though things like graphics cards issues did and all these other things did because Apple measured critical failures and not annoyances. But for a lot of people, annoyances are worse than critical failures. Like if something crashes or stops working, it's binary. You know what to do. But if something occasionally doesn't work, or just annoys you. Like, it's like a fly. It's like a, always like your murder reflex for an annoyance is way higher than it is for a failure. So they don't acknowledge these things. And then they'll look and they'll say, well, it's only 0.3%, or it's only 2%. And that's, you know, doesn't sound like a lot. But at Apple scale, there's like, hundreds of millions of AirPods out there. That's like 1000s and 10s of 1000s of people. And that, yeah. that's a widespread issue. But for them, it's like, uh, it doesn't hit the pivot table on our on our spreadsheet yet, so.
0: That's kind of what Marquez was saying too Mm -hmm. with YouTube, right, in the comment spam, which Renee and I talk about a lot as well. (laughs) Like any problem that Google has is a problem at scale because there's so many users that even if it affects a small percentage of people, it's like a massive issue. Yeah,
2: and also it's the same as the App Store. Like you'll look at both YouTube and the App Store and you'll say, why do they let scams in but also kick people out like incorrectly? And it's like, they, they can't do both. Like the tighter they make it, the more false positives and the looser they make it, the more false negatives, and they have to like yeah. mm-hmm. adjust for the middle, and knowing that they'll piss people off on both ends, <laughs> and just try to get as much of the middle as they can each time. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that yeah. that's like it's such a hard for anything, right? Like there are this like give and take. Like for example, iMessage, like the antitrust lawsuits that yeah. when they were the Fortnite lawsuits, and then it came out that like Apple discussed potentially putting iMessage on Android, and they were like it's not worth it to us because it takes away a barrier for iPhone families. There's obviously some benefit to doing iMessage on Android. But I feel like they're constantly in a situation where they have to weigh the pros and cons, but on such a major scale because everything affects all their different devices.
2: And it's even comical, like I'm not gonna name any names, but it's even comical. Like there was one executive at Apple who really believed in user experience and didn't wanna hassle or bother users with anything. And another one who really believed in business that they were leaving so much money on the table by not like sending out a notification about something new that was happening. And so like they would literally wait till the other person was on vacation and then send out that notification. Like I forget fun. how many thousands of people worked at that company. It was like, no, these two executives have different agendas. And it's, it's, it still comes down to things like that today. It's like, well, you know, we're going like, to annoy people on either end of this. And then some people win those battles internally and some people don't.
0: Yeah, I think when you have such a big company like that, There's always like, you could have like the same core values and like the same company culture, but everyone has different experiences that lead them to different opinions, which I I don't know. I also think about that in terms of like the Apple store, that is such a crucial experience with Apple and like a crucial customer experience, but they're constantly also trying out new things there. And obviously with COVID, like a lot of things have changed. After Mm -hmm. the break, which we're going to take in a second, I want to talk about Apple's work from home policy, because I think that's also another thing where... Some people agree with it and some people don't. So we're going to take a quick break, get maybe a cold brew, and then we come back from the break. We're here to talk about that and Apple's future, maybe like what their lineup is going to be like mm-hmm. next. Five or a shot of espresso.
1: I'm, I'm yeah. not. Gonna, we're not going to put anyone in a box and make them have cold brew. <laughs> yeah. Shot of espresso works just fine. I approve okay. of that. Nothing <laughs> wrong. I did with have cold brew. brew this morning. Nothing All wrong right. with cold brew. I had cold <laughs> brew this morning. I'll say that. <laughs> All right. We'll be right back. <laughs>
0: Welcome back from the break. Hopping right back into it. Apple's work from home policy with COVID has been a lot of people obviously have been remote, but now they're kind of asking people to come back to the office in a way that a lot of other big tech companies aren't. What do you think about this? Because I know they're kind of getting a little backlash about it.
2: Yeah, it's interesting because like Apple, Apple gets that from Steve. Like Steve was really, you have to be in person to collaborate. And it wasn't in a certain method. Like Pixar he had them all, like they could all build their own little houses essentially in the middle. Like one would make it look like a castle one would make it look like, you know, like a tiki bar. It, it's, like, it's like, you can do whatever you want, but you had like this little, and then, but you had to all go to the communal lunchroom in the middle uh, and meet up and talk and have those happenstantial meetings. And Apple was very much the same. Everyone had to be there. One, because it was like, he was so secretive and it made controlling source code and controlling products. Like like Johnny was literally in a vault. Like Johnny Ive's Team was literally in a vault. <laughs> Oh, you know, like you didn't get in there without like yeah. four or five badges yeah, just to go through, which is funny now because the iTunes team is in there and they're in the vault for no reason. It's just because that's what it is. Interesting. So it's hilarious. Yeah. But like, yeah. so when they built Apple Park, they also built it to be super collaborative, like one of those open floor plan things, which not everybody is on board of to begin with. Some people really do like to like shrink their environment down, even for just like concentration and focus reasons. So and now like two years later... You have people who've gotten used to working from home, who found it much more flexible, who didn't like the amount of time that they lost to traffic or to like the, yeah. the, um, the the corporate shuttles, or who just like became really isolated, have stress or trauma related to it, or like long COVID, all these sorts of things. And so asking them to come back, Apple feels like it's a core, like really important part of their culture. And I know some people have said like, well, Apple did really great even during the pandemic when they were yeah. working from home. But people were buying way more. stuff. No one anticipated that like sales shot Very through the roof. Very true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So of like that's not a, like it's not an equal measure. You can't like you have to normalize those things. So I think it, like it really does suck for the people who don't. Their their policies aren't on the surface much different from like like the Google policies, but I think they're much more stringent about applying them. Like a lot of other places, you can ask for extensions or ask for yeah. different things. Where Apple is more like this is this is sort of the way it is and we'll say that there are exemptions, but good luck, you know, trying to get one.
0: Yes, and like if the culture isn't, if a lot of people aren't asking for the work from home and like there's kind of like a unspoken thing about it not being what the, like the managers want, then I think it's harder. But Mm -hmm. also, I think it's so funny because my friends and I personally know that our work from home like really don't like it because they feel like it's really isolating socially. And so I think that for different age groups, it's like more and less advantageous. Like I think 20 and 30 year olds, like that age group, it's a little bit, I think actually like kind of hard to be work from home because a lot of your social life comes from work. Whereas I feel like people that have like families and kids and stuff have really benefited from it because like the childcare is so much easier. What do you kind of think? Like, do you think that there's a middle ground where, like, I I honestly don't know because I honestly think that being in person is really important. Like even though Apple did really well remote, I think that there is an element of like company culture that you just lose over Zoom. However, like You work remotely, obviously, like the standard and all these other companies that you work with. Do you think that you would benefit from like being in person with the people that you work with on a daily basis? Or do you think that it's like specific to certain type of companies?
2: So I worked in an office for like 10 years with the commute and everything before I went to Mobile Nations and I worked for 10 years remotely because they were based in Florida. So I've had both experiences. I personally prefer remote work. But again, it also really depends on like where, like you said, where you are. Like there are a lot of the people in Silicon Valley have a lot of money like it, it costs so much to live there so they don't get to use all of that money or they're so busy they don't get to use it yeah but like especially if you've been there since next like you have ungodly like collect supercars level money and, and like and if, especially if you just like to code like you you have no other aspirations you just want to sit there and code all day so like they've been working never mind from home they've been working like from the ski slopes in utah you know mm-hmm. and maybe they maybe they like that you know and they don't like and they have they basically have like FU level money. They don't have to go back. (laughs) So like, and that's not true for just Apple. That's like a lot of engineers discovered that or they could get a startup gig, which might have like IPO potential or like founder shares. Like there's a lot of other things there. And it's always been hard because like to work at Apple, you've got to be like an A-lister, but also willing to live in Cupertino. And that's a huge deal breaker for a lot of people. And And so like this opened up, and like to their credit, they've been opening up offices everywhere. Like their Siri stuff is in Boston and they have, uh, in Vancouver, they have a bunch of iWork stuff, and in France, they like they have offices all over the place: Texas, Israel, everywhere. But you still have to be in those specific offices, which may or may not be a compute and stuff. So I think it it is it is a benefit to them, and I think old timers also they're afraid that Apple is losing their culture. Like they don't yes. they believe that people aren't bleeding mm-hmm. six colors anymore; they're not Apple loyal, <laughs> uh-huh. that sort of thing. And like a lot of like younger people are coming in who are like, "Screw you, old dude!" You know, I don't I I, I work to live; I don't live to work. I uh, know yeah. that's a huge culture clash within Apple. Uh, so I think it's gonna be really interesting times for the next like two, three years as that sort of either stabilizes or falls over one way or the other.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a big thing. Like a lot of people aren't trying to get a job like because they adore Apple as a company, they just want a job in big tech. And I think that's a big difference than 10 years ago when like everyone there, like it was a huge part of their identity. I still think yeah. there are a lot of people there that are, it's a big part of their identity, but anecdotally, like I've heard about people like leaving Apple and working at Google or like, there's a lot more movement.
1: It's Calier bus. I, so I go to, I go to university in Ontario called, uh, the university of Waterloo. It's filled with a bunch of kids who all want to work at Apple, Google, Microsoft. That's the, it's the mentality. That's our Stanford uh, basically.
2: Yeah, it's it, yeah.
1: it's it's effectively like that that main tech school. And so most of my friends here for like in some kind of technology degree all say and they will have the same saying and it's Cali or bust. It's pretty much Ooh. just I'm getting to California, I'm going to Silicon Valley or I'm going to San Francisco and that is it. Whether it's for finance or it's for tech, it's one of the two and you're going there for one of those two reasons. And everyone I know who's gone to Apple has either stayed or left and it's very much it is a very big culture culture clash now. Like what you were saying Renee, like it's very very much these old timers who are I want to like make Apple the best it can be. I want to I want to be here and make it better and continue to make it better. And there's this younger generation now that's coming in. It's like I kind of just want clout, saying I can work at Apple <laughs> and I uh, get all this cool Apple gear, get a cool experience for an internship for the summer or for a couple years out of school, and then boom, I'm gonna go to Google and just uh, you know do me make make a ton of money. It's very mu- it's very much uh, chasing the bag and chasing the clout than it is more uh, chasing that kind of cool experience of working for apple which
2: it's also funny i
1: would bleed. i would bleed to work at apple i, I want to work at apple that would be incredible be I mean, an incredible experience but i know it's changed very much for a lot of people
0: i think it's both though right like i think there are definitely people that like oh, want to make apple are. better as a culture too mm-hmm.
2: i know a bunch of people who use like, because waterloo used to be the big blackberry university because they just the the founders of research in motion the founders of blackberry were from there they put a lot of money into it uh interesting they, 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 yeah, QNX, like, like Canada used to have multiple operating systems. Not so much anymore, but we had like BlackBerry OS, we had QNX, we had like a bunch of really yeah. cool companies. And a lot of them, as you expect, like when BlackBerry fell apart, they went to work at Apple. And some of Apple's like senior software vice presidents and stuff are all from QNX or BlackBerry, all went to Waterloo. And they were very like IBMy. I want to say. Like were, like suits. when I knew them, okay. they were like suits and ties yeah. and like very proper. And like their first six months at Apple, they were like a little chill. And like now I go there, like the shirt's like, craig unbuttoned you know and they're very like laid back <laughs> and i think they eat avocado now i'm not 100 sure but it's like they that whole culture changed them so much yeah oh, absolutely
0: i think um how would you define apple's company culture and like you know how companies always have like core values and like like four things that, like the, the company cares about and then things that the company doesn't care about how would you define apple's company culture
2: so it, it's the, the one thing that i think is always really cool and people don't expect is that when you watch like an apple event The way you see the executives on stage, that is exactly how they are in real life. Like when Tim is up there talking or Craig or Johnny in the old days or like Phil, that is like if you saw them and talked to them, that is exactly who they are, which is not the case in a lot of companies. Like a lot of companies, people have presences and they have characters that they play. Mm -hmm. That is exactly 100% them. When it was Steve, it was very binary, like you were a genius or a bozo, like you had a good idea or a terrible (laughs) idea. And he was very mercurial because he was super, super passionate and super focused and he really believed he was like denting universes. Tim is much more like an operator where like Steve felt like fire. Tim feels like ice, you know, like uh, he has things he cares desperately about, like privacy and civil liberties and, yes. you know, inclusivity, all those sorts of things. And he's like super passionate about that, but he's also like God mode logistics. Like he like he will get it made for the cheapest possible price in the fastest amount of time. And like, that's just it. So you, you have sort of that dichotomy uh, in Apple where I think you have a lot of people who are super focused, But also, super West Coast, kind of hippie chill at the same time. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I think that that your description of Tim is exactly what it is. Like, I actually respect Tim Cook so much because I really feel like he stands his ground on privacy, which is like one of, I think, going to be one of the biggest things of this next century of like, because it feels like we're losing so much of our privacy with so much of this new tech. And Apple's like one of those companies that I really trust to kind of uphold the standard. Obviously, they can do things that are not ethical, but I feel like out of all the companies, they're like the ones that I gravitate towards the most. How do you think that this is going to, like, play out with privacy and, like, Facebook, obviously, and Apple, like, and now the metaverse, like, more and more our lives are becoming online. How do you think Apple, like, keeps its relevancy and upholds that privacy standard?
2: Yeah, it's interesting because I don't know if you ever watched The West Wing. It's one of my favorite shows I try to watch, yeah. it, like, once a year. But there was that scene, when, and I think it was the first season, where Sam says, like, you know, previously it was civil rights or so the role of big government, and now it's going to be about privacy and whose medicine is who's, like... And that was like 20 years ago and that's still become one of the most pivotal pivotal topics Mm -hmm. of our day. And I think Apple and Facebook have such opposing worldviews and Google's somewhere in the middle. Like Apple Mm -hmm. really believes that personal data is personal data. They have no right to it. If you choose to share it with them and you get a direct user benefit, that's fine. And if they can enable you to share it with like caregivers or like financial institutions, places that can benefit you, that's fine. But the decision is yours. The rights belong to you. Where Facebook feels like you're using our stuff, therefore it belongs to us and you should just say thank you and shut up and take the free stuff. And then Google's somewhere in the middle where they're like, we're going to give you such great services, like you're going to want to give it to us, basically. Like, you know, we're not going to have to force you. And I make this analogy all the time and it's the worst analogy, but Apple's like going out on a date and it's like Dutch. Like, you know, you split the check down the middle. There is zero expectations. You pay for your shiny box, you get your shiny box and it can end right there where yeah. like Google is more like you go out to dinner, you get a lobster and they kind of like leer at you, but like you still have a choice about it. Like there's, yeah. like, like they have expectations, but it doesn't really matter to you. Where like okay. Facebook is like, you can have this buffet, but you got to eat it naked. And we have all these instruments. Around you. <laughs> uh, and like, so like, if you want the food, you got to agree to that. And that's yeah. like, sort of the range I feel we have right now.
0: I agree with you. Yeah, I think, um, I've been kind of vocal about how I don't agree with a lot of Facebook's policies. I think that Apple has really actually made a dent on Facebook's earnings, obviously with iOS um, 15.5, 15.4, the um, update where they uh, allowed you to ask apps not to track. And I think that we're going to continue to see like this push and pull of Apple trying to, lead the fight on privacy and then Facebook becoming influential and more and more part of our daily life. What else do you think we're going to see from Apple in the next five years? I know this question is like such a hard one to answer because anything can happen, but are there like any like highlight moments that you think we'll see from Apple in the next couple of years?
2: Yeah. I mean, uh, I think they're going to continue to ratchet down the screws on privacy. I know Facebook does like a lot of pageantry and theater about how this hurts small business, but it actually, it mostly hurts Facebook because like they all want to be the last click before a transaction is made, so that they can record that as a win for them. But it turns out, like people still use Google, like still use Facebook, still use Instagram. They just complete the purchase on Google, so it doesn't really hurt the business. They can still advertise on Facebook. It just hurts them. And I think Apple's gonna keep ratcheting that up until it really is our choice. And like the Facebooks and, and the Googles will have to make their offers way more compelling to get us to agree to you know to share that data with them. In terms of products, like I like Tim Cook's doctrine, like his basic thing is Apple is only gonna enter markets where we believe that by controlling core technologies, we can offer a substantial differentiation and value to our customers. We don't wanna make commodity anything. We wanna make things that are really, only, that only Apple can make. And I think when you look at sort of the product categories, they're gonna get into VR, they're gonna get into AR. But the reason I think Tim Cook is like notoriously secretive but is also willing to talk about AR and VR and um, automation and uh, artificial intelligence is because he doesn't see those as products. Those are the core technologies. It's like, he'll talk about LCD and OLED. Those aren't products. You know, If you didn't have LCD, you could never have made like the thin iMac, but you could never have made the iPhone at all. You couldn't have made like a CRT iPhone back in the day. It's ridiculous. So those technologies enable new classes of products. And AR is going to enable a new class of products like glasses because you can't put like a little OLED screens. You can't see through them. So uh, like they're going to solve for those sorts of problems. And I I love the way that Steve could like look 10 years in the future and see like networking or see like all of these things that we're going to like, or that our phones sucked And this is how you can make a phone that doesn't suck. Uh, And I think Tim still does that, but he looks at it operationally. And the guiding principle that I love is that, you know, sort of like Amazon, you have to write the press release before you can pitch the product to Jeff or before, like when it was Jeff, at Apple, like they don't care about the technologies. Don't talk to them about technologies. Tell us about experiences. We'll figure out the technologies you need to deliver them. But like, they're never gonna ship NFC. There were Android phones for three years with NFC chips in them, didn't really do anything. Like it was up to the users and the apps to figure it out. Apple's like, Apple Pay, we need NFC for that. Okay, put the chip in. You know, like, And it's just, people don't even know or care, but they have Apple Pay. So I think they're going to continue to focus on features and not like feature sets, not really chipsets.
0: What do you think about tech YouTube for the next two to five years? throwing all these tough questions at you. How do you, because we talk about a lot, Renee and I like retention, YouTube videos, et cetera. And one thing that I think um, that a lot of people think about is like that tech YouTube has evolved a lot slower than other niches in terms of like quality. Or I, I think quality in tech YouTube is amazing, but in terms of like innovation and storytelling, I feel like other niches have been hit a little bit harder. Not to say that tech videos aren't great. I think that so many tech videos are amazing and there's so many talented creators. But where do you see it going for like the next couple of years, if you had to say? Because obviously you have this unique experience of being at a traditional media company and now creating everything yourself, Indie. And so I feel like you could give some unique insights here.
2: Yeah, I think you said something really important there. Like I think when people think about quality of a YouTube video, they sometimes think about the production value, which isn't really the same thing. Like there are a lot of videos that are incredibly engaging and satisfying and they're terrific experiences, even though they're not shot with high level production. And like, you have some people like Marquez who can deliver both of those things to you. But like, you look at a Mr. Beast video and it's not the most beautifully shot thing, like Squid Games aside, it's not the most beautifully shot (laughs) thing, but it's like terrific experience. But I think we had the equivalent of like a super cycle in 2020. Like when every, like when the iPhone six came out, so many people were wait, or like when the Verizon iPhone, whatever, so many people were waiting for it that they rushed out and bought it, but there's only a finite amount of people. So those sales are being pulled forward. Like those are people who would have bought a phone eventually, but they all bought at that moment because finally a bigger iPhone or finally an iPhone on my network or, or whatever it was. And I feel like in 2020, people would have watched like a certain amount of videos, but because we were on lockdown, we were stuck at home. There's only so much, you know, sourdough bread any human being can make. Yeah. <laughs> it pulled a lot of video views forward and people started going through, like they were desperate for stuff to watch. So like, I'm gonna binge all of Jacqueline's videos or I'm gonna binge all of Justine's videos. Um, but then you've seen them like you yep. and, and you get to a point where there's sort of like saturation or exhaustion and we're not turning out a ton of new videos. And again, to your point, a lot of the videos we are turning out are like new versions of the same video, which they just watched 30 of in a row, you know, yeah. so it's like a, a compounding deceleration effect. Mm-hmm. So like, when we looked at it, we have a bunch of like friends who are really smart at this and looked at it. they're like, people are still watching. They're just not clicking the instant you publish anymore. So instead of like, yeah. that first day spike, get like a slow spike over a little while oh
0: interesting have you yeah. noticed that in the analytics
2: yeah like usually i get like a i know like roughly how many views a video would get and like before i could count on that in the first day but now it's like three four days sometimes
0: interesting or people will yeah, come I've back i've actually to noticed it. that too now that you're saying that
2: yeah yeah no totally true so i think like it's a combination of those things and like like the innovation that you mentioned like what is new and what is interesting and what can you present in new and interesting ways there's only people have phones, they're, lar- like, they're largely happy with their phones. They have computers, uh-huh. they're largely happy with their computers. So like, it's, it's not like the Android phones stopped getting a lot of view, like Android reviews stopped getting a lot of views, I think two years ago. iPhone reviews, I think a year ago, you know? So like, it's, it can't just be about this. It's, it's like, like doing the same thing and expecting different results was a definition yeah. of insanity. but doing the same thing, expecting the same results is an equally valid definition of that.
0: Agreed, yeah. yeah I think like there is this push now for more story-driven content in yeah. tech which I actually think is amazing. Like it it is harder to make, but I think so much more valuable to the audience. And so I'm I'm hopeful that we're going to see like the tech re- I think reviews are valid and they need to be here. Like there's a place for them, but I really hope that we continue to see like this push for story driven content and analysis because I think that those are some of the most fun videos to watch. And I think that there will I I feel like there's always going to be an audience for tech videos. Like I think tech YouTube as a niche is here to stay, but it it is definitely interesting to watch how it evolves and how like Mr. Who's the Boss has changed the niche in so many ways, right? Like with his type of editing style. And I think also like you are a really unique example of like niching down to one company mainly. That wasn't really something that was done in a significant way before the last like five years.
2: I actually wondered if I should just do iPhone. Like it would be better if I just niche down to like one thing. Oh my God, I can't imagine. uh, well, it's that old thing, like if you do iPhone and Android, the people who like iPhones are not going to watch your Android videos. People who like Android are not going to watch your iPhone. More or less, like unless you're like a Marquez or somebody, and they just enjoy you. Like if you can transcend mm-hmm. your content, that's always the best. But that's that's not like an overnight thing. And like I'm like, people who like Macs aren't going to maybe watch the iPhone stuff. Or people who like iPhones, maybe they have a PC. They're not going to care about the Mac stuff. So I thought a lot about that kind of stuff. And then I also think that after 2020 there's like no easy views. And I mean, like some people will like, even like new creators or veteran creators, they'll look at somebody like Alana Pierce or they'll look at like Charlie Penguin, you know, Moist Critical. He's got like eight names. Uh, And he just sits there and talks for like, like literally with like an iPhone headset cord going into his computer, (laughs) talks about like Russian slap fights or the latest internet outrage or the reviews a movie. And there's, does it like once or twice a day, million views every time. And people look at that and go, well, he can do that. And it's like, but the audience is already attached to them. There's no audience attached to
0: like us. No one cares about you in the beginning. Like, I think that that's so easy to forget as a creator. Like, no one, like you don't have the credibility built up yet or like the likability built up yet. And so if you spend the first two minutes of the video just telling a personal story about yourself, you're going to lose like 50% of the audience. Like Marquez could do that. And I think it would go really well because we all really like Marquez, but you kind of have to earn that level with consistently showing up.
2: And even like, sometimes they'll also go like, like we have a lot of, I think, bad uh, preconceptions. Like someone will say, well, if someone likes Brad Pitt, they'll watch all their movies, which like Uh first, not true. Also Mm -hmm. very few Brad Pitts. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But like like thirdly, let's say like you're normal, like you normally do like high profile tech reviews. Those are like the Avengers movies. Those are high box office, high views. But like, if you're an Avengers director or you're like Chris Evans and you go do an art house movie, you're not gonna get anywhere near the audience. You're certainly not gonna get anywhere near the pay. And it's a choice that you do to make that because it nourishes some part of you. And I think that's fine. Like that's great, but you made that choice knowing you're not gonna get Avengers box office. Yes. So if this like video you make is really personal important to you and it gets 5,000 views, that's amazing. But expecting and getting angry, it doesn't get 5 million (laughs) views, that you're just hurting yourself.
0: Yeah, dude, I made a Q and A recently which I think got like 5,000 views or something. And I was like, this video is probably gonna get like 10% of the views a normal video gets, which it did. But I was like, but I really want to make it. And I'm also, like, confident that this is going to be something that resonates with the audience in a way that a review won't. Like, they're going to feel more connected to me after watching it. And I think, like, if you set your expectation like that, then a 10 out of 10 doesn't hurt as much. But if you're like, I really want people to care. And, like, why is no one clicking on my video? Then I think that you're just setting yourself up for failure. But I'm also very pro-analytics. And I know that that is kind of controversial. Like, I love the 1 out of 10. Like, that feature is so valuable because, like, not seeing that doesn't mean the video is not a 10 out of 10. It just means I'm, I don't know that it's doing bad. And yeah. so I think like the constant push to like remove analytics is kind of like a dangerous game because I think that like if you have the analytics and you have the data to know what the best decision to make is.
2: Yeah. And you don't have to like, you don't have to care about it. That's the thing. It's like, but don't take it away mm-hmm. from other people. And also like the con like uh, you know, we ask questions about this stuff all the time. And the more we learn, I feel like the more valuable it is and the less stressful it is. So when I have it, like when I'm seeing, I'm not getting views and I can go ask about it and figure out why, that's super helpful to me because it helps me fix problems I may not even know about. But also like, I know going in, like if I do a video about accessibility or education or the environment, it's gonna be nine or 10 out of 10. But I know that going in. So like, I'm still making a choice. I still get like the control over making that content. And I feel like it's valuable enough to the people who will appreciate it that I wanna make it anyway. But then also like, if you get three one out of 10s and then you get like a four out of 10, that four out of 10 is only compared to the last three videos being one out of 10. It might've been like a one out of 10 three weeks ago. And your mm. six out of 10 yes. might be getting more views than your one out of 10 did last year. So yeah. like, like it's all contextual and, and relative.
0: I totally agree. Yeah, I think um, th- that's honestly something that I think about with shorts too. Like YouTube has just finally separated the shorts from the regular videos in terms yeah. of the ranking, one out of 10s. And that's amazing because obviously like, when you have a short and it's like retention is down, like average duration, it's like the shortest 60 seconds, of course it's gonna be less. And so I think like sometimes looking at the data in context is so important yeah. because it's really easy just to see the up arrow, or the down arrow and have that make like how you feel. But there's a lot more nuance there. And I think YouTube honestly does a really good job of like trying to give you the most helpful analytics. Yeah. And again, it's like a problem at scale, right? Because for certain creators, it's gonna be really helpful.
2: I do wish like if you made a 20 minute video and then you made a 10 minute video and it says view duration is down, it would just say, uh-huh. also video is shorter.
0: Yes, I <laughs> would like that too. Or That'd like, I would love if they normalized it a little bit yeah. too. Like they kind of like normalized, which I guess they do with average view percentage, right? Yes, But it's buried. Yeah, it's not the top thing that shows up. And then, then that makes you question like, which one's more important, but we can go down a rabbit hole, yeah. but we won't. On that note, I think that we'll transition to the part of the podcast Stuff We Like This Week, which is the part of the podcast where we uh, recommend music, movies, etc. We enjoyed can this week. And Darshan, I'm going to throw it to you for the first one. You can kind of like set the stage.
1: Set the stage. Dang. Okay. I was going to go with a sad song, so I'm not going to do sad song. <laughs> um, I'm actually going to go with a TV show. I recently started watching Gotham. Okay. Uh, it's pretty much based on like Bruce Wayne's story, like Batman's story before he became Batman. It's like his parents had just been killed. Uh, He's kind of going through the motions of that, like kind of figuring himself out outside of like his family name, but it's also very much like a crime show. Um, It follows uh, Jim Gordon and his partner at the time uh, in the forest as detectives, and they're like going and finding all these really interesting cases that are happening in Gotham, and given that it is a... it is a comic book universe. It is some interesting, I guess, uh, cases that you wouldn't necessarily see in shows that are more just straight crime-based. So I highly recommend it. I've been only maybe a season in, and I've been really, really enjoying
2: it. Enjoying
0: That's it. awesome. I'm going to check that out. Sweet. Renee.
2: So I'm going to be the cliche and just pick Moon Knight because it just debuted. They're on the second okay. episode as of this week. If you're not familiar with Moon Knight, he's like a Marvel equivalent-ish of the Batman. Although in the current incarnation, he has like the powers of the Egyptian gods. Uh, and a split mm-hmm. personality, like he has dissociative mm. disorder where there's. So if you imagine like Bruce Wayne and Batman and maybe he also might be Alfred, you're not quite sure. Like <laughs> all of that is like rolled together and they don't they, they sometimes don't know about each other. Like it, it just creates so much like rich depth and they they're getting increasingly quirky and interesting directors. Like it is still a Marvel giant franchise, all that sort of constraints on it. But it, and mm. this Oscar Isaacs, who's just like so good. At yeah. everything that he does. So, like, if you're looking for something a little bit like you still want that big blockbuster feel, but you want something a little bit off the beaten path, Moon Knight is a ton of fun.
1: That was my suggestion last week, actually. I had just seen the episode and I was like, all right, this is going to be oh, no, therapy, like this week. I, I thought it was phenomenal. I'm so excited. I haven't seen today's yet, but I'm very, very if excited.
2: You picked that before. I'll add quickly Stra- uh, Strange New Worlds, the trailer it dropped for that, which is going to be the Star Trek Ooh. series based on Captain oh. Pike, who was there before Captain Kirk. And the trailer for for Picard season three, which is odd because Picard season two hasn't finished yet, but apparently it's already shot, and it's going to be like the final mm. season and a big the Next Generation reunion show, which has got a lot of people excited. Wow, wow.
0: that's it. You guys are much more like cultured than I am. I was just going to say um, no. the season finale of How I been Your Father. I finally watched. It's the new like spinoff for How My Mother. It was really good, actually. I thought they did a very good job.
1: What did you think of the cameo?
0: I thought it was great. Yeah, spoiler yeah. alert for everyone: there's like two major cameos in it—a
1: motif and a character. Yeah, it's two. It's two and one. It's and great. It, it blew my mind. Yeah, Made so sick. Um,
0: yeah, so, so everyone should go check that out.
2: Could they do a "How We Met the Kids" one day? Would that be the third spinoff?
0: <laughs> that would be so clutch. You know, dude, it's funny. Like, so in the "How I Met Your Mother" show, they show the kids, and like that's like the storytelling yeah. um, narrative. But in the new one, they show the parent, but not the kids. Cause they don't want you to be able to guess like who the kids are. Cause there are like yeah, multiple yeah. fathers and it would be obvious. It's actually pretty good dude. So I, I would recommend uh, on that note, Renee, is there anything that we didn't talk about in this podcast that you want to talk about? Any announcements you want to make for anything you've coming up?
2: No, that was all good, man. That was awesome. I love that.
0: All right. You are the greatest. Like, <laughs> no, you. um, I l- always love when we get to catch up and thank you so much for making the time to come on.
2: Anytime. Anytime. I'm really
1: honored to be asked. Thank you so much.
0: Yeah, dude, thank you. Yeah,
1: Absolutely incredible to meet you. With that all you being too. said, though, to everyone listening, you guys are absolutely incredible for listening to this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And if you did, make sure to drop us a rating. Let us know what you guys thought of the podcast. Give us some feedback. We'd love to read every single one of them. As well as just go check us out on Twitter at Digital DiPod. We post updates and little teasers about what's going to be going on in every week's episode before it comes out. So if that's something you guys are interested in, definitely go check that out. With that being said, thank you so much to Deal with Constantine, as always, for the amazing intro and outro music. And I hope that you guys will catch us next week at 7 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Eastern every Monday for a new episode of the Digital Dive Podcast. Jacqueline, any final words?
0: Yeah, we're going to link all of Renee's stuff in the show notes. So if you hadn't heard of Renee, which I would highly doubt, you can check him out in the show notes. Thanks again, Renee, and have an awesome week, guys.